Hello, and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week, we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode 27. With Joseph Makos and Joseph Bievenu. This is the good, bad, and the ugly, isn't it? It's a ugly shit out there, kids. Let's make the world safer for poetry. Uh, we are in the shop on St. Claude, again, recording with a uh, special guest today, bookmaker and bookkeeper and books shop worker, bookseller. Uh, and poet. And poet. I was getting to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and poet, because it's like the, the, the thing that, you know, comes last, right? Uh, Jeff Monsterman, uh, who's here today with us to talk about books and bookmaking and and all the different aspects that go into sort of like the labor of love of small press indie publishing yeah right? yeah i read them i write them <laughs> i sell them i uh i uh lose them <laughs> i don't dog ear them though okay that's about the only thing i don't do <laughs> yeah i try to i try to not dog ear mine either i have this little cool thing that you can uh you can take one of these it's a it's a it's a themed magnetic mini Magnetic Ooh. bookmark. Ooh, the, yeah. It's a good. It's good. They're good. You can see there's three gone. The ray. The ray gun. The ray gun is gone. They are pretty neat, but I'm. Be, I'd be afraid I would lose it. Let's well, clip on your book. <laughs> I'd be more afraid of losing the book, but yeah. So tell us about the experience of reading for the blind before we get into the an book. unrelated an part. Unrelated but, oh, so right before we came here, Jeff was at the Lighthouse for the Blind, which is a radio station in New Orleans. We should say. Yeah, um, WRBH, right? WRBH. Uh, I do not remember their numbers, but uh, Reading for the Blind, they had contacted my publisher, uh, another poet, book, everything person, Bill Lavender, and asked him to recommend some poets. He That that turned into a larger thing, and so he's, he's started a reading series for the radio called The Writer's Retreat, and he's working through I think actually as we are recording this he and Ralph Adamo are doing a tag team reading sort of a conversation in poetry not sure if they're doing that live or taped but my segment was taped we just did we just did about 15 minutes it was it was nice to talk about and read some poems from a few years ago and then I read a new poem about foot fetishes (laughs) cool Uh, yeah (laughs) well that's neat that should uh, we should look them up and we should we should learn more about what they're doing or what Bill's doing over there. And yeah. Is it a new thing? It's a, I, th- I think I was the first recording. Brand spanking new. Yeah. yeah that's nice. cool, man. Yeah, we'll have to Very cool. Look into that. That'd be, that sounds like another episode right there. It sounds like another episode. And it also, <laughs> yeah, it just sounds like something really cool. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I'd love to be part of that kind of thing. So for a number of years, for, for a good number of years, I know you were, you've been in the world, in the poetry world. And uh, I believe we all met at the most likely the Maple Leaf or the Gold Mine, Gold Mine, Gold Mine Maple Leaf combo. I always look at that as the, this like the poetry combo. And I know for a, a, a number of while you were doing some layout for Trembling Pillow, um, some broadsides, some, some book covers, right? Some interiors of books. You did a little bit of everything, a little bit of everything over there. A little bit of everything. I, I had. Um... I had gone to archiving too. Sorry. Yeah. No. I uh, archiving transcription. Um, just kind of jack of all, like whatever, whatever was needed to get the book done. Yeah. So, and, and some of it was, uh, things I'd picked up in college or high school at NOCA and just basically, Hey, I can help out. I'm I'm a get shit done guy. So let's get, let's get it done. Like what's holding this project up. I'll do that. I'll get that done. Um, you did. I remember, I remember talking to you a while ago, you worked on, um, you worked on the, the Kenny interview. Yeah, I was, right? uh, I was a student intern. Yeah, student associate, an intern. And like, I want to go back, and the reason I want to go back to that specifically is because I look fondly on my time working in a book press publishing situation at UMass Press, and I think that those things that you learn in college about, like, about or this, this is an episode about bookmaking. So, those things that you learn in college about design and layout, and you worked on your. Well, one at uh, Loyola Chicago. Yeah, what was yeah. it? 
uh, it was Cadence. Cadence, and that we amazing. featured that in a couple episodes ago. We read some weird stuff on. Well, it. that was Diminuendo. We Diminuendo. Had the, we had sorry. the we had the yearly and the quarterly for two <laughs> magazines. Cool. Yeah. How many students were at Loyola Chicago? Oh, I'd, I'd be guessing, but it was pretty small at the time. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't that big. Kenyon Kenyon College was sixteen hundred students. We had five literary magazines. Wow. Yeah, that's like a high school. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, a high, that's like a high school. Size. High school with five, and I I worked on four of them and the Kenyon Review. I was I was yeah. So little, little nuts. No no no, <laughs> a little not a little not sure. You know, we had Jabberwocky at UMass. We had uh, underground oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. journal. Uh, but like the, the but those formative experiences of working uh, in sort of like a publishing situation and the different things are like for me at least was really formative. You know, I mean, UMass Press was a little different because I was working in book specifically design and production department. But just I don't know. Tell us, wax a little about like that experience, like of doing that as a young person, and like do you carry any of that stuff with you now? Are there certain things that you're? Oh no, absolutely. I um I started learning the layout at here in New Orleans at NOCA because um, they do the uh, uh, Umbra is their journal. Okay. And so my my second and third year there, I was sort of the uh, assistant editor and or, you know, assistant editor and the managing editor, co-managing editor my last year there. And back then it was PageMaker. Maker. I was just going to say, yeah, I was going to say. PageMaker. Was it Quark or was it PageMaker? Well, it was the first year it was Quark, so Quark I learned that. existed too. I think we used Quark. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we had... We had Photoshop, but but there was no InDesign yet, so you would use Quark for the text layout. Yep. Yeah. Then, the the yeah. Uh, the the visual art students had Photoshop. We we did not. We had to, we had to, and we had PageMaker, and there was the the guy who did uh, the newsletter for Noka came in, and he was just like, "Yeah, try this, and this is how you break things down in the columns. <laughs> and this looks okay," because we were really learning from. Teachers who are also poets who did this 20 years ago for their college journals. Right. And then he but on came, mimeograph machines. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and so they, you know, he, 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 just a couple of little tips and it was, it was the, the grain plant planted that, uh, the, you know, the seed planted that if you, if you learn a couple of these little tricks, it makes everything much faster. Oh yeah. And it's, it's kind of, it's, it's same thing. It applies throughout. Like if you, if you have some tools in your toolbox, this flies by really fast and you can still make it look good. Like if you put the, if you put the sweat equity and the, and the knowledge into it, it, you can kind of knock it out, which is really cool. When I got to Kenyon, um, I, I took over the student journal by my sophomore year because I was the only one who was interested in editing, interested <laughs> in layout, interested in the promotion, interested in like all of the aspects sure. of doing book stuff. And it was, you, you sort of swallow them by degrees. Like, Okay, well, I know how to do this. Nobody knows how to do that, but we need to learn how to do that. So yeah. I'll, I'll call the guy who makes the newsletters yeah. version of promoting yep. a book or getting it printed at DocuMart or whatever, yep. you know, shop. I think it was it was Sunbury, Ohio had a print shop. And so you call him up. Hey, what can you do for us? And then and then uh, started doing a chapbook series with John Kinsella. Uh, it was Kenyon Vassar, Mount Holyoke. And so they needed to lay out books, like not just doing a journal, but laying out books. Interesting. And, That's the work that they had. Yeah. Well, Kenyon Vassar and Mount Holyoke. Kenyon Vassar, Mount Holyoke. Well, so there was the, the print shop was doing uh, doing the books for all three all three universities because it was Kinsella who was the editor. Even mm-hmm. though Mount Holyoke's up in Amherst. Yeah. Really. Yeah. So they would just send the files down, and and we were, huh. and it was also, I mean. Well, and, and Kinsella was was there was some visa stuff, and he's also sleeps four hours a night, so it was kind of like you need to handle this. We need to call somebody. He's not available because he's he's like you know standing in front of a sheep about to get slaughtered. Like <laughs> you will not pass. Um, and I started working at the print shop on campus because I was in there every day anyway. And they were like, "Well, why don't you? You want to like you have a student job as as a research assistant for." crazy pants yeah and <laughs> and then i was also working as a student as a student uh student uh student work study for uh the maintenance department but that was really just drinking buddies <laughs> and then so i took the print job job to just kind of learn how to do this stuff how to work the machines and and some maintenance yeah. and uh the cost of things the taking in orders and 
getting it, getting, getting, getting in the guts of it and how it works. Yeah. They're like, Jeff, you're already, you're already running, you're already running three of the lockers over here. He's got like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to just have a job? Like, yeah. I could see you having like all your paper set up right next to the page you go copiers. Yeah. No, I had my own machine. They were just like, like machine number three. That's, it, I mean, it's free, but Jeff kind of uses it. He might come in tomorrow. Need something printed. You know, back when they had those little those little cartridges, you had to shove in the copier. And yeah, had to, yeah, to, yeah. yeah. Took your counts and then you yeah. showed it to the guy. And, and then they moved to cards. Then they moved to cards. Yeah, but yeah, but uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting because I think almost everyone who has been involved in publishing or bookmaking in some way, you don't really learn that through classes. It's kind of just getting in situations where you're doing it. And if you're lucky, you have people who kind of mentor you and teach you teach you how things work. But it's kind of in a tr- one of the holdouts of like apprenticeships and just learning on the job, figuring out how things are working. Yeah, it's 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 an old practice, especially especially the bookmaking part. The printing, I I can't really speak to because my my experience of it is is limited. I'm usually the guy who like I get a machine, but I've never really had a machine. You know what I'm saying? Like you have machines, yeah. <laughs> lots of them. <laughs> I had I, ha- I had one machine, and then and then it water, <laughs> water took it away from me really fast. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of machines over here, you know. Yeah. That that thing just needs a little a uh, little simple green and 150 dollars of archival ink, and we could be printing, you know, all sorts of crazy inkjet book cover stuff. I always like the idea. Yeah. I always like the idea of. Of, of really tuning in a color, really tuning it in right, and just dropping one or two color a print over the top of colored paper. Yeah, I think that would look nice. You know, yeah. like full color stuff is cool, and you do, you know, your designs are rustic. I would, I would say, you know. So, like, so this is kind of a question for both of you. A little Kerwick inspired in some of your stuff. A little bit. <laughs> I see it. I think, unlike a lot yeah. of publishers, although you mentioned Danny and he did that too, y'all both kind of use a mix of a lot of different types of printing and elements as you're going through. What what do you like about that? You know, some people are purists, right? They want to just kind of stick to one kind of thing. What do you all like about the fact of, you know, incorporating different elements of printing into one book? Uh, do you want to go first? Uh, you're looking at books. I'll go first. Yeah. Gonna, <laughs> no, I, I mean, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. I, I have this thing. For, I have thoughts about that for sure. Yeah. I, um, my my like creed core on on any of the design and and technical elements of making the books was first and foremost how do you keep it cheap like it's a chap book it yeah. should be a cheap book it can look as impressive as you can make it but some of that should just be some of the choices you make and then the the actual labor of the making of it but the out like the the raw materials the printing materials that's that's where you cut corners if you can. Um, so you know there was there was printing printing on black. Like, well, okay, you need to use a screen print to get that done, <laughs> or you can just like cut out a stencil. Might take you a couple of hours. You might have to make ten of them. Yeah. But if you do that, and then you, now you're printing on black with any color with any color spray and paint you, you can buy whole, at the Walmart. Uh, you don't need a whole screen printing setup. And yeah, I mean, I, I did one book that was basically it was it was two pieces of cardstock glued together, just to make it extra thick. And I just sat there with spray on glue, probably <laughs> killed some ozone and definitely <laughs> gave myself a glue rash. But the end product of it was it it was something new. It was something a lot of people in the community, especially in in the communities that I was publishing in, like they, they just hadn't seen it before, which was, yeah, but it, but it cost it cost nothing but some, some, uh, abrasions. Some of your skin. Abrasions. (laughs) Abrasions. Well, yeah. But in the words of Pill Lavender, I think you work too hard. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's how he always mess with me when I'm like, I'm like taking like, you know, taking time to hand stitch stuff and you know, but I'm like, yeah, but dude, the final product at the end of it all is like a whole different, you know, Thing. And, and I guess what I was going to say in reaction to Joseph's question was, as as the as the juggernauts of perfect bound printing, the um, publishing industrial complex, I'll call it, of perfect bound printing. Well, it exists. No, Eisenhower talked about it. And uh, yeah, yeah, I talked about it. He's more of 
He warned us of the vast dangers of Amazon.com. So as that moves for as as there's one choice of paper, there's one there's two choices of cover stock covers, two choices of paper inside. You can do some creative stuff like, you know, Bill Bill's figured out some ways to trick it and really well, actually. Yeah. This sort of thing, you know, like as this moves into this generic kind of like production thing that if you if you order a hundred each 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 week, it might come from a different printer and it might not match up. You know, they had problems with with this with caveat onus, those small books. Yeah. Because they would order them at different times and the, the and it was really like they wanted quality control on the size of mm-hmm. them. And if you look yeah. at them, they're yeah. not all like that. They're all different, slightly different sizes. Because one came from this press, one came from this press. You can do that in print. You can do that in in house. You can create something that's in house. My point is, with the onslaught that's coming through this glossy, shiny, curly cover shit, what we do, what we do in creation of a um, a, a hat tip or harken back to it, whether what whatever is involved with the printing. I don't care, but hark, hark back to another time of, you know, I look at your books and the, immediately I, to me, I immediately think, you know, am I in the nineties? Am I in two, the, the 2000s? Is like, you know, it's got like, this is a little bit of a kickback. This is a kick, but you know, I mean, this is definitely a kickback. This looks like something that was done in like, could have been done in like the seventies mm-hmm. or eighties, eighties look to it. Well, and, and specifically in, in that, in that instance, I mean, it's, it's a, she's a protest poet. Yeah. So she's, she's performing in a style that has been around and been prominent in American letters forever. But specifically when we think of it, we think back to, you know, Gil Scott Heron and, and yeah. Angela Davis and, you know, uh, where did you find this paper? It's French. That's the, that with that marbling? Or no. Is that just sweat? No, I printed that. Oh, you printed that like watermark over yeah. the top? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I uh, did. I did that. I did that inkjet, and then printed the rest of it on light on a. Yeah, just a light little thing. Mm-hmm. But like that, yeah. But that has that look of like this late sixties, you know, style look to it. Um, so yeah, this becomes more fetish, and it becomes more uh, in a certain way. Like it becomes like a different approach in the delivery method of the of the final product is like i feel like the books that we make are more this isn't you don't you don't you don't go to like i don't think you see do you do you go in a lot of bookstores around town and see your books like on the shelves like people yeah. selling them well i mean put them there? i mean i work at a bookstore they have them i know <laughs> uh, okay. but but people but my yeah. point is is that people and this is the perfect bound version yeah um and but people you know what i'm saying is people keep your books yeah they well, stay on people's collections and shelves. Well, because you know, because I because I work in a bookstore every other day, somebody comes in and says, "Oh, books! Remember books? <laughs> books are." I have a Kindle, and and that, you know, I um, I'm a firm believer that like as long as you're reading, it doesn't matter what your format is. Like, read on a digital. That wasn't CreateSpace, was it? Uh, this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can work around. No, but that's not, I like that paper. Yeah. This paper, I'm not, I'm not used to seeing this this exact paper. Um, but I, you know, the, the Both death, cool. the death, yeah, but very different. And and one I could do 150 of at, with, you know, and and recover from my glue burns. Um, sure. And the other one she could mass produce, but yeah, but that's nice. I mean, she sold the the handbound one. She sold she sold 100 of them the night of the release. Yeah. And then she sent me a, an email a couple days later. I need a hundred more. And then I'm going to probably need another hundred in the next two weeks. I'm going to need 200 more books in two weeks. Uh, no, <laughs> I can't do that. And also she shouldn't, she shouldn't, she, you know, it's part of it is, yeah, it's hearkening back to an older time and it's, it's paying homage to people who, who've done this work and this bookmaking work. Um, but it's also as the publishing industrial complex takes over and gives you six by nine white, Matte or glossy, white or cream, <laughs> but and you can even you can even do six by nine or eight and a half, five and a half. Wow, so many options. <laughs> the books are going to start to look the same, and you know, CreateSpace also offers designers. So for four hundred, five hundred dollars, they'll design the book for you too. They'll give you a cover, and they, as somebody who gets copies of these into his bookstore, mailed randomly from strangers all across the country, they look great. Like they, they're really. 
they're really knocking it out the park with their choice of like Times New Roman or Ariel or Helvetica. It's like you get three font choices for your cover. But it seems like, especially with poetry, right? Like if you think about your average book of poetry, on the upper end, what are people selling? Maybe like a few thousand and that's pretty high, right? And most people, you're lucky if you sell 500 to a thousand of them. So why not take a little more care with them? You're, you're not, it's not something where really flooding a lot of them into the market is that important. So why not have something that's a, why make something mass produced if you don't have a mass to produce for? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, you know, the, the people who love poetry, we think of as kind of a big community, but not really. It's we're all we're all you know the wall the wallflower kids. It's a it's a it's it's a moderately large cult. It's yeah it's a, it's a, it's a it's a niche <laughs> cult type thing, and so I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like if you hand make the books that you put out, and you make choices throughout, like the way you design it, the the elements you use, even the way you bind it. If all those choices are saying thank you for buying my book, and I wanted to make something really nice for you, I wanted to make something that's like a reflection of me. Every book I made looks different, but you know, I I sat down with authors and I said, "Well, what do you think of this? What do you think of that?" And you know, what show me the five books that mean the most to you, and like let's put those elements, find a way to make those elements applicable to your applicable to your book, and like you we have to we have to we have to make something that it matters to the people who still care yeah you know and there i mean i guess there are more than than i think maybe <laughs> well, if people are selling buying 100 books you know i mean in a night selling out 100 books in a night then there might be you know some interest still yeah i think i think as that you know they've basically become the most boring you know create spaces creates you know prints the most boring books and, you know, the ones that basically aren't going to stand up to the test of time because they're really poor quality and they're not really well made and not really well assembled. And it's this industrial sort of like cookie cutter process. And, you know, I guess it's all about the people might say, oh, it's all about the work inside the thing. And, you know, it's just a delivery of the vehicle and they've figured out an efficient way to do it and all that. But great. Now that they've brought now that they've created a completely bland bookmaking book market that's complete bland materials and part of it, then it's like now what we do becomes even more valuable. Yeah. Well, and, and we didn't talk about it, but I think that's ta- are economically. Are, are you talking about bookmaking or writing poetry? Yeah. No. Well, <laughs> I mean, uh, both but, of those things, but yeah. yeah. Economically more valuable because like you make a, you're putting something niche and handmade into the market and it's like, it, 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 it comes out sort of as a collectible innate sort of thing. Well, and then, yeah, we didn't talk about the idea of chapbooks, right, which is, you know, mostly poetry where you get this idea of chapbooks, but you need a way for poets to get things into the world, to get their work into the world that don't necessarily have a full collection yet, and uh, I don't know how you, you can't really do a chapbook through a mass market kind of thing without it looking like utter crap. I mean, I guess if you went to like a copy place or something, you could do that, but it's going to be pretty bare bones if you do that. It will be okay. Let's talk about that for a second. But it will be, but because we've all made late night runs to the to to, to the, the the place, right? And we've all gone there at two in the morning, and we had to do a thing and pull a thing. Yeah. But one again, the paper the, again. It's because it's an industrial thing, and because of contracts and all that stuff, they only carry X amount of paper. They only carry you know a certain amount of paper, and you know any all the self service stuff is pretty is pretty straight ahead. Um, but any services that you re- have rendered by those people and, you know, it's going to be expensive. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is expensive. I'm like, too. I always tell people, go call Kinko's, find out what they're going to do. Somebody wanted me to do a lookbook for them, just like a simple coil bound, you know, lookbook thing. Yeah. And it was like 20 pages long and I did it for, you know, 15, 17 bucks or 20, 18 bucks a book. Kinko's wanted like 32. Yeah. You know? And the guy was like, $18 a book. I was like, well, dude, you want, you know, you, you're asking for a ton of color printing and really nice paper and you want it bound, go find it cheaper anywhere else. You know? <laughs> and he couldn't. No. 
a good trick is to tell them to go to the other place, the place, because um, they will immediately go. I mean, sticker shock. They'll yeah. call you right back. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, word of the word to print, word word to young artists out there. It's worth using a niche printer like myself in order to do your project. And here's why. Because somebody came to me and said, hey, I have seven photos I need scanned and I need 10 prints of each photo. And I said, okay, um, you, know, I'll char- you know, I'll charge you, you know, $20 to do all the scanning and then, you know, a dollar a print, whatever it was. It was super, super cheap and I was going to do a great job. So instead of doing that, she took her art to like one of those downtown photo places or one of those downtown printers yeah and she ended up spending so, I, so basically i quoted her you know it was like 70 bucks for the prints and 20 was 90 bucks for that job and i was like remember when you leave each one of these prints is going to be worth five anyways yeah she didn't do what i offered to do for that much money because she thought it was too expensive she went and spent half as much money she spent 50 dollars to do all the print that she wanted but they didn't do prints you guess what they sold her for 50 dollars Color copies. Color copies. On, uh, and that's what they end up looking like. And she said they end up looking really bad. Well, I don't even. I hate even using them for posters because every time the color comes out totally different than what you actually well, design it, on the thing. Yeah, it becomes it becomes the division between product and process. It's like you want the product, and that's if you care about the product, and you go to a company that only gives you product they know nothing about process it's like, yeah it's like i'm gonna you know we make this and that's what you get and we offer this and that's what you get if you care about the product you're gonna get probably a crappy product part yeah. of it is when you find somebody who understands the process and has kind of made an interesting little cocoon of artifacts <laughs> of the process both internally and externally the process leads to a pretty quality product but you know if you're if you're rushing through like i gotta get it done i gotta get it you know it's monday i gotta get it done by wednesday you know like you can pay out the nose and you might get the thing you want someone else can give it to you quicker and cheaper won't look as good and it might not be cheaper and it might not be quicker because they don't care they don't they don't they don't they don't know the process it would take to get the thing done anyway yeah so. so do you have any uh, funny or stories or stories that you just like about helping a poet put together a book? Uh, you don't have or to incri- interesting stories? <laughs> you don't have to incriminate yeah. anybody. Yeah, no, I, and you don't need to use their name if you don't want to. I don't even think – it's not uh, in terms <laughs> of funny. I don't know. No, I, I think I think, I think think for me – I mean one of the funnier ones and I, I – this one always comes up when I'm talking with anybody about binding the books because yeah. I, I – I would do uh, I would do like the, the create space book, and I and I would like to think that like the design elements were enough to separate it from what you would normally see. Yeah, yeah. But it's still not as nice. Like if you put it next to the handmade one, the hand sewn, always hand stands cut, out, yeah. it always stands out. Um, but with uh, with quests, um, the stitching was I think twenty seven holes. It's a Japanese <laughs> bind. It's twenty seven holes, and it's one piece of thread. So it was sixty four different in and out. Back through, I think I think it was sixty two or sixty four different wow. steps. Yeah, to sew it. It took about four minutes a this book. Crazy. It looks nice. It's yeah. crazy. It was definitely crazy. Well, see, here's how it happened. I had I had always when I had spare time, I would just take a bunch of paper, make a blank book, punch some holes in it, and then just experiment. Yeah, yeah. That's how I got you know the one that looks like bird feet, the one that you know like just different patterns. Like how many patterns? Can you make with four holes? How many can you make with six? How many can you make with 20? How many if you do two rows? How many if you do three rows? And just playing around with thread and paper. It was, it was, it was a relaxing thing to do while I was sitting out on the porch smoking. And so I had sent a few of those sample binds that uh-huh. I thought were neat and looked cool and would fit with his work. I sent them to him. I'd send one and he'd go, yeah, that's all right. You know, it's okay. And okay, well, I'll send you this one. This one will knock your socks off. Yeah, it's that's interesting. You know, it's okay. It's all right. Why don't you send me some more? Send me some more options. And we did that about four times. And I was like, all right, you want you want a binding? So I I figured it out. I drew it out, and then I stitched his name 
is the binding. So he's Michael Quest Moore, and the, the binding is uh, a square-shaped just Quest with the question mark. Um, I took a photo of it, and I sent it to him, and he went, yeah, okay, <laughs> all right, that's... That's kind of it's that's that's kind of neat. I was like, "This is the binding." Yeah. This like trust me. This is the binding. He went, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> and then you know, it, people saw it and they're like, "That's insane." He's like, "Well, you know, only the best for me." <laughs> of course, it's a great idea. I was like, "You, uh huh, yeah, cool." So that was that was. That was an interesting one because it was it was uh, his book release was May seventh or May fourteenth, and then another poet that night said, uh, "I have a release for May twenty first. Can I send you my manuscript?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yes, you can. Let's because just as long as as long as I don't have to do this, <laughs> like as long as like sixty four steps, twenty seven holes. Yeah, how, <laughs> yeah. yeah, my name is Rumpelstiltskin. I just wrote a book of poems." Can I have my yeah? I didn't even notice that it spelled it out when you said and, until you said that. Yeah, I was like, it's very complicated. Now that you right. say that, I see it. But. See, quests. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was that was uh, that was extraneous. That wasn't just extra. <laughs> I always liked doing extra, but yeah, this this goes this pushes it. Yeah, it was it was one of those. Uh, wow, this is this is the most complicated and maybe beautiful things I've ever done. <laughs> And I couldn't have done it. And I, and I couldn't have done it for a better book too, because it's a, it's a fantastic collection. He's a fantastic guy, and he really yeah. he really cared about the process. So I was happy. Yeah, yeah. I was happy to go extra every step of the process because he 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 made it he made it easy. It's like it doesn't matter how much I'm charging him, I still have to I still have to like summon the desire to do it. And yeah. for him, it was like I have no problem doing extra. But then I, I went a little extraneous. I have him somewhere, but. This is the most complicated book I've ever done for anyone. Yeah. That was you know? pretty complicated. And, so uh, we're looking at... Yeah. You know, Laura Mattingly's The Book of Incorporation. And we had to do the layout a second time. Because, printed. Because you re- republished it. Because she wanted... And, and we couldn't just shrink it. No. We had to redo it. Because it was like there were some edits to make and the line breaks to do. You know? Yeah. It's just making a second book with the same material. Totally, and that's and that's the thing about that. You know, well, it's just really what's on the inside. So then there's this version of it. it yeah. And then there's <laughs> and then there's this version of it. Yeah. So there's like, there's like three versions of the book, and then yeah. the, then there'll be you know we still have the last hundred, so we're gonna do something special for the last hundred of that. You know, so there's like you know, and I did I did like I wrote, I just did that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Just something simple. I mean. But it was but Gold, simple, but guilt, guilt, uh, hands, guilt, pin letter, pinning, uh, spine. Pin letter spine. Yeah. yeah. Um, she liked it. Yeah. People liked it. See, I got the, uh, I got the first one, the first run, the big one. The big one. And it was the, the left hand bind. Oh, you got the left hand bind. Because well, I guess y'all, actually, yeah, y'all got, y'all got baked out and somebody started <laughs> making some, somebody. Somebody did it backwards. So it's a left handed bind. <laughs> somebody yeah. did it backwards. Someone. Which is cool. You still, so you got that one. I well, I had it. It got was it. it was. Uh, oh, it was in the flood. It was in the flood. Yeah, M through Z for poetry, and pretty much lost all of M through Z. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's some complicated things, and there's some really cool things you can do. And you know, I mean, I guess that's I guess that's as a speaking from like a zany publisher of sorts. Like, that's what I I guess that's what this whole thing is all about. Is like we've got like digital presses in here and inkjet printers and letter presses and mimeographs and yeah. I mean my goal is the next you know the, for the sort of like the next phase of my bookmaking yeah that's rad my bookmaking um, agenda is to just try to make a bunch of really weird and strange composites of letter press and, 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 and digital and inkjet and mimeo and, and, and make these sort of unidentifiable you know uh, how mixed can your media get how mixed can your (laughs) yeah how mixed can your media with vintage paper and weird you know I think sometimes I think like I've been making I've on all the books that I've done for other people but not just books but like also like CDs and and DVDs and and all this you know crazy stuff like uh, 
how complicated can it get? Or can it really get? But um, it's been complicated, and it's also be, it's also been really simple, you know. But to bring back paper to like to be able to be able to do this and still print new stuff for people on old paper, I just think it's like. Well, but that's the thing. Yeah, I don't know that. It's, yeah, I mean, you're, it is cool when someone does something really neat and complicated, but it's not about it being complicated necessarily, right? Like even just a even just a book printed very simply just to have it on quality paper and to have it feel like an object in that sense well, and that's, is really satisfying. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, pretty much every book I did was just, it was, it was, you know, digital, digital prints. Um, because I found a place that would give me a good price. Sure. And I, I, you know, experimented with lino cut. I experimented with, with like, you know, uh, pricing out letterpress, and I love the look of all that. Like you cannot, sure. you cannot imitate it, especially for covers. It's so nice. Yeah, oh my, it's gorgeous. <laughs> it's absolutely gorgeous. And there, and I'd say for every book that I did, I, I envisioned an alternative cover that used some some process. But you know, you're you're also making books for poets, sure. and like, yeah, they don't always have so much money, do they? <laughs> yeah, and I, and I kept. I kept I kept waiting for a book that like demanded it like no you have to do this for this book, but I you know I always kind of figured out a workaround um, in just enough time. Italics, this stuff's cool. Yeah, it uh, they're they're sort of glittery poems. I like the stitching on that too. How it's only on the outside and the back. Yeah, it's sort of it's sort of a fake fake paperback. It's a faker back. So it has a spine. That was that was she she had uh, commissioned a friend of hers who's an artist to make these two pieces of the Yaddy Mermaid, and she wanted them presented together. She was like, "Well, it's the front cover and the back cover, but I want them to be on the same. I want, I want you to be able to see them both at the same time." Oh yeah, yeah. I was so like, you well, needed some kind of. I was like, "Well, front cover and back cover don't don't really work like that." <laughs> <laughs> so, but I figured this out, and I I thought it was neat, and it, yeah. that was a fun book because she had crowdfunded all the money oh, okay. to make it. Nice. So it was like, let's just experiment. Let's get some really nice stuff. Let's try some stuff out. Let's let's develop processes. And so know. I guess that that like that would be a good yeah. thing to say too. I mean, I think you all kind of alluded to it, but so are you. Kind of briefly spoke to that, Magos. But so say we have a young poet out there who has a collection of poems, and they want to get it out into the world. How how do they find someone like you? How do they find the Jeff Munsterman or the Joseph Macos that is in their area? How do they find the person that's going to help them do that and figure out how to do it on the budget that they have? And 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 is you know where where do those communities lie? How do you find those people? <laughs> I know that's kind of a hard question, but I mean book fair and like zine fair and like you go out there and. You know, like um, you, I, I mean, I, I just, I think my biggest success on that was a couple of years ago. I uh, last year, I think I went to Zine Fair. It might have been the year before, but I just showed up with like fifty zines I had made myself, and I just went around all day and traded. <laughs> and just met other people who were doing other cool That's things. Cool. Yeah, and yeah, just talking to them about making shit. It was better than having a table. Yeah, it, it was way better. Yeah. Because I didn't want I was like static and I didn't want to like necessarily like set up that year, but I just walked around and traded and I felt like it was like a different way to engage with with people. Um, you know, maybe this year we could do a no good poetry beat podcast that would call it behind the zines. Behind the zines. <laughs> yeah, I got. I mean, alternative title. You got an alternative title? No, uh, like you can't. That's it's behind the zines. Behind the zines. Yeah, behind that's zines. pretty good. It's pretty good. It's solid. <laughs> You're not beating that one. Uh, I yeah, I I don't know. I met. I mean, where did I meet you? I met you at a poetry reading. Sure. Like if you want to, if you want to be a poet and you want to have a poetry book, go to poetry readings where people are. Yeah, that's good advice. But not yeah. their own books. Yeah. Like, well, you'll find someone there probably who who already found one of those people for you. Or or you'll <laughs> had or you'll their book done that way. <laughs> or you'll see, or you'll see what they've done, and I mean, some of it is the anxiety of influence, right? Like, how many eight and a half by five and a half printed on white paper with no cardstock chapbooks did I see and and currently still own, even having have yeah. lost half my books, yeah. still own just these eight and a half five like half letter staple 
sometimes stapled poorly. Like I don't have a long handle, so I'll just uh, you know, it's laid out on Microsoft Word, and it's still a book. It's a book, it's and they still nothing, sold it but... to me, and like people still bought it. And... But when you go to the when you uh, that's always depressing to me when I go to a bookstore and there's a section of their zines, and you can't even. You have to individually pull, except for the ones that are on display, you have to individually pull each one out because they look exactly the same. same. They're all just a piece of paper yeah. folded in half and well, stapled. And that's, and that's and that's kind of the nice that, – that was, that was my first argument against staples and four hand-bound books. It's like you know, this, every spine is different. Every spine stands out. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, it looks like something and you if you see that – you know, if you see yeah, that, it would stand out stand amongst out. all the other. Yeah, now like that may not. It's just a black piece of thread, just done in that you know the pretzel thread, but like a yellow or. But even if you you know, but even not doing that, just having a nice color or a paper that has an interesting texture yeah. or something, right? To to stand out in some way. Well, and it's it's the more the more specialized it becomes, the more it stands out. And you know, I've I've had the benefit of my books like showing up to like a national poetry slam. Yeah. And so there's a merch table and there every every poet that came that had a book brought their book and they're able to sell it at the merch table. And so among, you know, the eight the half letter books that are printed on white at the place stapled, they're all laying there and then there's one that's like has a purple vellum color and all the books are on the floor. It has a purple vellum cover or is a different shape than eight and a half five like like yeah. just the simple decision to cut a quarter inch off the side of course. and a half inch off the bottom and understanding that you can do that with layout, like just, just cheat up the, cheat up the margin a little bit on the bottom. Uh, you can still lay it out in word like you, yeah. you know, I, I, I found these people after I had already accidentally become one of them. <laughs> you know? Like I, I, I made a book for myself using only the cheapest methods. I printed it on a home printer. I bought at Walmart I used paper I bought like at Walmart. I did layout with Microsoft Word and it looked okay. It looked yeah. like I bought some nice some nice red red cover stock paper. Isn't that isn't that neat? And then uh it wasn't it wasn't uh it wasn't until a few years later where I was like, Oh, I had options. And it's easier so now cooler. too in some ways because I mean you keep mentioning Microsoft Word and that used to kind of be you know, if you didn't have special software, the only option. But now there is a lot of open source layout software, which is which is pretty good. You know, yeah. it's not it's better than using you can a book with your phone. Yeah, yeah. You could literally just type the book out on typewriter and then take you know take sixty four pictures of it and then send it off to Lulu. Well, there's also that. Yeah, <laughs> you can take high quality pictures that are as good as a scan. If you you know, you can, yeah, you can record an album on your phone. I mean, the technology isn't the problem. The, the technology can also become an impediment if everybody's making a book on their phone and sending it off to Lulu. Yeah. And your book just looks like you did yeah. that. Yeah. Um, well, so. yeah, it's always using the tools that you have, of course. Yeah. Like people who order their business cards from the 100 templates of Vistaprint. Yeah. I've I, always wanted to like just do collections <laughs> of like in my like some of, of those are funny though. Instead of sorting my yeah they are instead of sorting my business cards by like the order of importance, maybe I need to resort them by uh, in the in order of um, maybe like uh, designed you know like I probably have like maybe seven business cards of the same exact as the print design but for different businesses. <laughs> just, just a book called Bad Business Cards, and it's the same exact. Vista print template, but with a hundred different. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I don't think you should restrict yourself to Vista print, but I would definitely buy a book of just the worst business cards that that's, that's you've definitely ever got, a chapter, that have ever though. come and come apart, come across. Yeah. I've seen some doozies sometimes that make me laugh out loud. I can I can think of a binder up there on the fourth <laughs> shelf down on the right. Then it's that that's the. Did you ever see the one where it's just it's the guy's a book of all the cards he printed from the nineteen fifties. Those are like, oh, amazing. No. Oh, no, I'd like to see that. <laughs> so, any last thoughts on poetry and printing, bookmaking, all that fun stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think, I want to say this, I want to say this to, like, young poets or anyone who's, we're thinking about, you know, doing a book. Um, you can do a lot with a little. And... For me, I feel as though 
I feel as though um, you know you you can you can make a good looking book with it with with what you can make a good looking book with one sheet one sheet of eight and a half by eleven twenty pound copy paper. It actually is more about design, and it's more yeah. about like figuring out that's how to true. trick out a sheet of eight and a half by eleven because that's the world we live in. And they fold it in half, and it becomes this standard thing. What happens, in my opinion, is that. When you have a, a, a chapbook that's the standard size, that's the same as every other thing in the world that's that size, a church bulletin, a program for a graduation, a, a every menu. event you go to, right? Get keynote speaker, everything you everything you go to, it's that size. And when because as humans we recognize specific shapes in our world, people who if you do your book that that is this exact thing, maybe a little bit bigger on the cover though, yeah, which changes it. Mm-hmm. So even if you go bigger on the cover stock and you cut the inside down, it changes it. This a standard eight and a half by eleven fold and a half size. It's like it's like your book is like entered into the void as like a non-item. So like it, <laughs> it has this weird association with something, everything else in the world. So you have to make your book a little different and make make it a little smaller. And I think you can, I think or, or whatever, or think about the way that you make a book and the golden mean and. There's there's more things that you can do with the, with that sheet of paper than you than you could ever imagine, and that like it doesn't take a lot of money, but it takes in, intuition in 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 the presentation of the text on the page. So I think it's like more about like reinventing the way that we do design work, because I'm because I challenge I want to challenge other people to like two two sheets of eight and a half by eleven. Let's make a book. Let's 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 see the coolest craziest book that you can make with two sheets of eight and a half by eleven. <laughs> Uh, that, that's that's a good thing. That'd be a fun little uh, and I want to see event or what people can yeah. do for it with that. And I want to like I want to say like it doesn't take a lot. It takes it takes a little bit, but if you do, I think it's all about design and making your book be presented in a new, fresh way. I don't know. That's my take. Yeah. No, I think I think the most the most inventive times were were like you know I was challenged to to try a little bit harder, like like. Give more of a shit, and it was it was um, when your when your options are limited or your funds are re- limited, your resources are limited. The only thing you can really do is okay, let's look at this piece of paper and figure out how to make it do something it's not supposed to do. Yeah, um, make it do something that uh, I haven't seen yet. Like try stuff out. Like hit it with spray paint. Hit it, hit it with you know. Like bleach, like to buy a piece of colored paper and bleach it. See what you know, like. Thought about mm-hmm. flecking bleach it mm-hmm. stuff to get a bleach a, sto- <laughs> a stone wash look to it. Yeah, and it's and and what you find is that when you when you when you you know sort of MacGyver some methods, um, you you enter into a new community of people who know way more about it than you do and have compiled more knowledge and resources and information and they're willing to share their share your information. I didn't know about certain paper companies until you started talking about them. Um, and then it, it opened up doors for me to, to, to provide more to the poets that I was making books for. Um, it's like eternally grateful for that. Um, and it, it, yeah, I, I think making, making something, uh, that's imaginative and inventive and catches people's eye. It's what will save the book. Like making, yeah. making. Like I think chapbooks are are where it's going to be saved because it's not going to be a six by nine paperback that was produced on a crank. Yeah, in no. in, in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, for the big company. Like it's going to be it's going to be these small books that will stay on people's shelves. They're not gonna. They're not gonna. They're not gonna take it into a book. Can I trade this in? Like, no. <laughs> this like, cherished handmade thing. Yeah. They're not that's... even. They're not even gonna loan it out. And that's really cool. Can I read it? No. <laughs> you can read it right now in front of me. I'll sit here and watch. Go ahead yeah. and read it. Like, yeah. Anyway. Also, thanks. Thanks for asking me to do this. Well, thank. Oh, yeah. yeah. Thank yeah. you for joining us. Do you have uh, anything you want to plug or anything while you're on here? Uh. Let's see. Oh, um, so October 5th, October 5th or 4th? Oh, shoot. 5th at uh, Crescent City Books. We're going to have uh, Marianne Cause. Uh, oh, yeah. Author, translator, editor, uh, surrealist queen. I mean, she's yeah. surrealism's queen. Uh, 
She's going to be doing a talk called The Poetry of Surrealism at 7 o'clock at Crescent City Books. October 5th, well, it's a Thursday. It's the first Thursday in October. Um, really excited about that. It's free and open to the public. Yeah, we, we No Good Poetry definitely endorses that you all go check that out. Marion causes me. For sure. <laughs> yeah. She's interesting. It's going to be a great talk. She's It's, it's a pretty rare appearance. Um, fifth, yeah. I just made the poster for it, but I okay. already forgot. And then uh, I, I've been reading regularly at Esoterotica, so it's every other Wednesday. Um, you just go to esoterotica.com and find out about them. And that's still at uh, Always? It's at the Always Lounge. Um, I don't know. I never thought I'd be writing erotic poems. And then I would go. I sat there. I sat in the audience for four and a half years and said, nope, not for me. <laughs> um, and I made a joke one night. Because I had a poem in my book that was, uh, according to the drunken elders of my past, it's a list poem of just advice I got from the old dudes. Yeah. And uh, I sort of said, well, what am, you know, what am I going to write? Sex tips from the drunken elders? And that started a thing. <laughs> I've been mean, at it for like eight months now. So. Nice. Uh, so yeah, Esoterotica, Marianne Cause. Come buy books at Crescent City Books, um, please. God, yeah, yeah. especially summer months. <laughs> so slow. <laughs> Well, that's cool. Yeah, uh, we're looking forward to that reading on the fifth. Yeah. And, um, yeah. All right. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for coming out. No problem. Thanks.